The views expressed on Teacher Vision are those of the interviewee and interviewer and do not represent Screenlance Allies as a whole. Hello there, and welcome to Teach a Vision, where everyone has a different vision of learning, episode number 20. My name is Jose Briseño, and today we have part two of our interviews with people from the special populations class that I presented their blindness unit to. We want to thank all the people that I interviewed during these two parts for taking time off of their busy schedule to help me out with this project. And today, this episode is going to be slightly longer than usual. So we hope you can join us for these next two interviews. You can also pause and come back and listen to the rest of it when you get a chance. However, if you decide to stick with us, sit back, relax, and enjoy these next two interviews. Our first interview is with somebody that was actually in this class about three years ago. We speak with Erica Wheeler, who was one of the students that was in this class, a good friend of mine who stuck with me after presentations. We have been bouncing ideas off of each other. She gets to talk about her experiences in my presentation and what it was like before I presented in her class. Also, we get a mini art lesson. All this and more right here on this final part of the series of the Special Populations Unit interviews right here on Teacher Vision by Screenless Allies. Miss Erica Wheeler, thank you very much for participating in this interview. My good friend that after the presentation, we actually kept in touch. So thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to help me out here today. Yeah, of course, man. I'm really excited and eager to get to talk to you and kind of talk about what it was like. Well, let's start off with simple questions, you know, before I really make you go underwater here. So... (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what are your hobbies and interests? What are you currently doing? You know, who's Erica Wheeler? All right. So I currently work at a middle school as an instructional assistant in the math department. So I go around and I help give accommodations to students and meet all of their needs in the classroom, just an extra person. But I am certified in art. So next year I anticipate on teaching art education. And my hobbies include painting, anything creative, obviously, tons of fun, but I also really love reading and just hanging out. I really love the field that I'm in, so I'm really excited to continue working and expanding and growing and learning, especially like my friend Jose, getting to talk to him and learn a little bit about accommodating the blind, especially with art, such a visual field. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, (laughs) we will will touch on this in a second because I do have a question I did not put in the list, and Mm -hmm. I did that on purpose. So, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'll see what, what you can remember for the presentation. So, yes, listeners, what typically we do is I send them a question list so that way they could be prepared. So, these people that you heard recently on both parts one and two of this series, they got a question list so that way they could prepare. And for Erica, I left out a question on purpose because I want her to tell me from the bottom of her heart. <laughs> that sounds so cliche. I know. <laughs> But we will see. I will tell you when that question comes up, I promise. All right. So what made you want to go into the education field? I was always kind of artistically inclined. I was an art club in school, took art every year I could, loved to draw, stuff like that. And then after I graduated high school, I really kind of have no idea what I wanted to do. Teaching had never really crossed my mind, but it was like a few weeks before registration closed. The summer was ending. It was like, I need to decide what I want to do. And I had this like thought, I say it's like an aha moment where something in my brain was like, 
art teaching and I was like you know what I'm gonna try it so I registered for classes and was just gonna see how it goes but I really enjoyed the classes and I stuck with it and here I am so I kind of say my aha godsend moment really don't have a specific moment where I knew like teaching is for me before I entered the field other than now that I was in the field I've had so many instances working with kids that I know my heart's in the right place now we're going to go into the deeper questions here so we met at well actually we had a class together we had an introduction to the teaching profession this is the class prior to the special populations class that I presented in but it was like a general class where it was kind of doing education basics. Have you ever been around somebody who was blind or visually impaired prior to me entering this classroom environment? I had not in full transparency. I had not had really any experience with visually impaired people. I had not. What was your, and no, don't worry. We're not going to beat you up for this answer. What was your perspective on people who are blind or visually impaired prior to. So before that, it wasn't anything I had ever really like considered to have much of a perspective other than just like, man, that just be so difficult, you know, like how thankful I was to be sighted. But prior to that, I really hadn't interacted with them too much. So it wasn't anything I had honestly thought of too often. I mean, that's just kind of that, like, I guess, sided privilege, you know? Right. Do you ever see them on, like, television, anything like that? You know, any plays in school, like The Miracle Work or anything like that? I haven't seen that movie, but there is a show that I've watched on Netflix after getting to know you. I thought it was interesting. It's called In the Dark. I think I had texted you about it one time. And, I mean, I don't have the blind perspective to see how accurately they portrayed it, but... In my opinion, I thought it was really interesting because it wasn't such a huge focus in the show. It was just kind of like, yes, she's blind. It wasn't about her being blind. You know, there was a whole other storyline, but the way it was portrayed to me helped me consider other things like in everyday life that is different for blind people. That's not the same for us sighted people. When you actually saw somebody who was totally blind in the classroom, what was your first thought that went through your head? I was amazed. I thought how cool for him to go into a profession like this because you can offer so much insight and help to these kids being that you are visually impaired. I mean, obviously people that can see will also be able to help the blind, but I just thought what an amazing perspective to bring into, say, if you went into like accommodate blind people with teaching, working with the blind, being blind yourself. I was really admired that you were there and like interested in your technology and stuff. So, I mean, I thought it was really cool. So kind of excited a, to have you in class. <laughs> so kind of a heads up was that we were both the shy ones. You were able to be in one of those presentations later on in the semester. What stood out when I presented? So what really stood out to me that I thought was really cool, you made us all, like if we had an iPhone, because that's the phone you had, go in and change the accessibility on the phones. Because I knew there was like accessibility on there, but I kind of just thought like, well, they'll use Siri a lot or this or that, you know, like the blind people using the phone. But the options that are on there that I didn't even know about were amazing to see. It was always fun to do every year. I always like to do this. And people, like you just said, they're like, oh my God, that is so awesome. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah. And I like to do that because I want people to know that, hey, we can also use mainstream phones nowadays. Because at the time, when I was your age, we didn't have those <laughs> kind of phones back then. We had, shout out to our old science professor. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I had to use a flip phone and we couldn't even text. There mm -hmm. are blind people that actually still stick with flip phones and I get it. Seniors and people that just cannot use a touchscreen do stick with flip phones and I totally get it. After I presented and after I got to meet you, 
Did your perspective change? And if so, how? Oh, absolutely. Like I had said before, it wasn't ever really anything I had had to consider or think about. But afterwards, for a while, I caught myself like anytime I was making a lesson plan or doing something, just thinking like, how would this be different? How would I do this if I couldn't see? I remember you telling me like you learning how to cook scrambled eggs and try and cook without seeing and just I still catch myself at times stuff and think like well how would this go if I couldn't see and just considering things like I remember you walking into the room one day and I had said you know like hey you know good morning or something and during one of your presentations or in passing you had said something about people need to introduce themselves so I always made it a habit to try and be like hey Jose it's Erica like identify myself because with regular people like they see it's me they know it's me but if you're just walking into a room and someone says hello you're like hi who are you so just things like that that I hadn't considered before that now cross my mind well I'm glad yeah and that's the thing okay many lesson for people that are listening to this for people that are barely you know learning your voice it's always a good idea to say you know hi it's so-and-so oh yeah and don't do the guess who who am I that don't work honestly that's a little frustrating especially if we don't even know you it's rude So don't do that. What would be a message that you would send to educators? You know, if someone came up to you and said, man, I'm about to have a blind person in class and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. What would you tell them now that you came out with all this knowledge? I would tell them to think about it from their perspective, especially if they're going to teach them, like if it's like an isolated classroom or, you know, like a first or second grade, you're around this kid, spend some time like you had suggested this to me blindfold yourself try and navigate through what that kid's day would look like blind make notes of anything that you think you know what this might be a struggle that I struggled with if I couldn't see kind of things put yourself in the shoes of not just anyone blind but a blind person in that specific situation like every time I make lesson plans especially with it's something to consider. I don't have any visually impaired students at the moment, but it's still something to know and consider. How can I accommodate these kids? What kind of struggles would they maybe face that I can do my best to prepare for? You can't prepare for everything, but at least trying to consider and prepare for some of the obstacles is really, really important. So just put yourself in their shoes and just try and think about what they might go through. I like that. Ms. Erica, here's the question I left out. So, all right, you mentioned lesson plans. You mentioned considering the blind and visually impaired in art. Now, Mm -hmm. tell me, what concept have you seen or have you worked with that you thought, oh my gosh, this is something that I really think someone who's totally blind can do with reasonable accommodation? And how would you pull this off if you did have somebody who was blind in the classroom? So... Surprisingly enough, I do have a good answer for this. I went to a BFA, which means Bachelor of Fine Arts, exhibit for a student that was graduating, and he had low visual capabilities. He wasn't fully blind, but he had issues, couldn't see well, and he mixed sand and dirt to get like a grittiness with the paint and used different grittiness and textures for different colors. And so he still was able to paint, but you could feel the differences between colors and the grittiness so I did a little research on it and there's like a Maris method it's a Japanese artist she paints flags of different countries and will use like a scale of one to ten grittiness so I think maybe the more gritty it is the brighter the color but she also mixes in scents with the paint so you can kind of get a sense for color with the smell of 
that specific paint. Like I think lavender is associated with purple. So these paintings, you can physically walk up and feel the difference between the colors based on the grittiness that the sand gives and the rocks that's mixed in. And then the smell. So like an orange would probably have some kind of citrusy scent which I thought was incredibly interesting. So in the classroom, what I could do is use different sands and even put them in like squirt bottles or hair dye bottles, something that they could squirt and paint and raise the texture of a painting that they're doing or drawing, use glue, stuff like that, that they can feel so that they can still make artwork. Okay, if you could see my face, (laughs) I just have this look on my face like, what? (laughs) I didn't know that. I did not know that. That is impressive. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have to send you like an article about it because I haven't got to see like this specific artist that made the Maris Method, but that BFA show that I went to at WT, it was really amazing to see just how different it was to paint with such texture like that. So it was really cool. You got my question on the nose because, yeah, I can see you doing this. And obviously you have, you know, things like I remember when I was a kid. When I was a kid again, back in the day, <laughs> we had the marbles on the vase kind of thing. I can't remember what that's called. Let's see. I'm trying to figure out what else you do in art here. Sculptural stuff is awesome. I really love working with textural stuff, like with the painting. But sculptural stuff is awesome, like you said, with ceramics. I mean, it's more than just throwing on the wheel. There's a whole realm out there of, like, sculpture that you could do. It's literally just like a pile of clay, and you can mold it into whatever you want. So, I mean, there's absolutely a world out there for artists that even if you can't see, you can feel and touch. Ms. Erica, now that we can go and wrap this interview up, any last words? you'd like to share with anyone just with you thank you for having me on the show and i'm very grateful for our friendship and the ability to communicate and bounce ideas off each other any way i can help you out i always try and likewise you're always so willing to help me out and consider things and you helped bring like i said a whole new perspective and take on things and things to consider from a whole different point of view which is invaluable especially with such a heavy visual field to remove that aspect is incredibly difficult but to consider for those that don't have that capability so thank you well i really appreciate it so much (laughs) hey hey who left this bowl of onions here uh no but i i really appreciate it seriously and miss erica thank you i also appreciate your friendship i really appreciate you answering all my questions even though they're probably pointless sometimes i really do appreciate that you've taken time and have allowed me to share my knowledge with you and you share your knowledge with me i think we're learning off of each other and that's what really sticks out about it so i really appreciate it so much and thank you for being on the show today yes absolutely the final interview in this series we saved the best for last we speak to the teacher of this class the one that actually was responsible for having me present every year we speak to miss cheryl webster and get to hear a little bit about what it was like prior to and after my presentation also what she takes with her from my presentations all this and more on the second interview of teach a vision if you stuck with us this long thank you for listening if you decide to pause the recording and come back to it later we hope to see you soon otherwise for the people that are still here continue to sit back relax grab some chips and a drink and let's continue 
Lewis Webster, thank you so much for participating in this special populations unit podcast episode series. And it's an honor to have the teacher of this class on this episode. Thank you very much for helping me out today. Well, thank you for having me, Jose. This is a real pleasure. Before we go into the very complicated questions, let's start with some simple, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are your hobbies? Do you have any interests? Who is Miss Cheryl Webster in general? Oh, goodness. I'm interested in almost everything. I really am. There's a book I read as a young person, Betty McDonald's, Anybody Can Do Anything. And that's been kind of the motto of my life, I think. I like to try just all kinds of things. If the car breaks, I want to look at it and see if I can fix it. If people are growing vegetables, I want to go try gardening. I want to try needlework. I want to, you know, just try a little bit of everything. I love music. I love reading. I love classic literature. Polka music, of course. Yes. Writing, art, photography. I don't know. I just try a little bit of everything. Okay. Singing? Since you like music. Not that anyone would want to hear, but yes. Okay. So it's what we like to call private singing. You know, where only you and your bathtub or wherever you are in your car, they can hear it. Exactly. Shower and church choir singing. That That's about the extent of it. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I understand. So, well, It sounds like you definitely are very active. Have you always been very active as a child? I think so. I've always been interested in a lot of different things. Would you say, actually, that leads to the next question of what made you want to go into education in general? Well, I didn't. I wanted to be a teacher when I was a very small child. and I used to teach my stuffed animals under the dining room table. We'd have school and I would teach them their ABCs. But I grew out of that and decided I wanted to go into advertising which is what I did for my undergraduate degree. And I was an advertising copywriter. Wow. Enjoyed the heck out of it. Had a lot of fun. Wound up doing freelance writing after my children came along. And my youngest had a lot of trouble in school. And I knew she was intelligent, but she wasn't able to read. Even by third grade, she couldn't look at her alphabet and tell you what all the letters were. And this is a child who had known how to sing the little alphabet song since she was one, but she couldn't identify the letters. She identified numbers. And it was a mystery, but then I found out my father hadn't learned to read until he was a junior in high school. Getting her diagnosed was a challenge. School was a terrible challenge for her, but turns out, yes, she had dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and a number of different learning disabilities, then it was how to help her. I found out that all the best trainings on how to deal with dyslexia were for teachers, and I wasn't a teacher, so I wasn't eligible to attend, so I went back to WT to get a teaching certificate so I could go to the teacher trainings and help my daughter. So you would say your daughter was the culprit of you becoming a teacher? She was. Yes, she was. (laughs) Once I got the certificate, I was offered a job in special education, helping the very people like my daughter and I went ahead and took that position as a reading teacher in resource. It was a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to rewind a second. Did your stuffed animals enjoy your lectures? Probably not, but I bribed them with crackers. So fair enough. Everything's good. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough for sure. I totally understand that. You focused on special education, or did you focus on any other field apart from that? I focused on special ed, and I thought the reason I was there was to help. They get so discouraged. And I was teaching at the middle school level when, you know, they have trouble with learning disability and they feel like they're stupid. They feel like they can't do things. And at that middle school level, they're coming to school every day doing something they hate and they're failing at. And 
I wanted to turn that around a little bit for them and show them that no, you're intelligent and you can do this. There are methods that we can do and you will be able to read and you're not stupid and you do have a purpose and you can do things. And I think that was, you know, what I was there to do. Before I came along, because as a background, I actually had Michelle Webster for some classes before <laughs> I came along. Have you worked with somebody who was totally blind or visually impaired? Not really. I had been in an inclusion class, but not on an everyday basis. So it was just more once or twice a week I would be in there, you know, one class a day. And there was a student who was blind, had low vision in this class. So I, I saw a little bit of it, but really, no, I was not teaching the student. I wasn't working with the student directly. I'm sure you may have seen blind people in the past. What was your perspective of the blind in general at the time? Empathetic, absolutely. But I'm a bit shy and I was nervous in talking to someone who's blind. You can't make that initial eye contact to see if they want you to talk to them. And then being a bit shy also, I never knew whether, say when you came to school, I'd see you coming down the hall. And it's like, okay, is he counting steps to get to the next place? I don't want to interrupt that and say, hello, Jose, you know, talk to you in the hall. But then you're not really talking to anyone in the hall. It would be nice if you felt like you had friendly voices around you. What to do? I think I just felt socially awkward. As far as teaching someone who is blind, I would be nervous about not giving that person the full educational experience they deserved. Right. Actually, that kind of went to the next part of when you got the list of people that registered for your class, which mm -hmm. the first class I ever had with Michelle Webster was FYS, First Year Institute Seminar, <laughs> I believe is what that stood for. And my community college, which was Frank Phillips College in Borger, we had to take that class. So when you got that piece of paper with all your students in it, did you get notified that I did have a visual impairment? Or when you first saw me walk in the classroom, you were like, uh-oh. This is that a bit of a problem. That was the first time I knew was when you came into the classroom. And and, and what did you think at okay. that time? <laughs> I thought, well, today's lesson is not going to work for this student. <laughs> what do I need to do? Right. Did it help in a way my personality? Because honestly, for the listeners, I am one of those people that will actually tell you what I do need and what I don't need. So I'm not one that will go in and automatically just put up with the accommodations that people will pull up because not all blind people work the same. So we all have different accommodations that we do. And honestly, for my college career, I went more towards the professors than for the disability offices because sometimes a lot of disability offices, I wouldn't say they don't have enough knowledge because they mean well. It's just that sometimes some of us are a little bit more advanced than others. So there's not equal resourcing, if that makes any sense. It was much easier for me to interact with professors and teachers. Would you say that me telling you, all right, this is what I need. This is what I don't need. And this is how we're going to do this. Would you say that that was helpful? That is exactly what needs to happen in the best possible world is how you interact with your professors and, and others around you. What made you want to have me as a presenter you know so much and that cheerful attitude and can do attitude that you know kind of gets back to anybody can do anything i saw that in you too that yeah i'm blind but i can do anything and that's what my students needed to see i teach future educators and i don't want them to you know see someone that's poor and sad and has no potential and you go in there and show them how to run their own phones and all the things that you can do, they can't do. And you're teaching them. I think this is a fantastic way to show them 
the potential for their students with disabilities. What stood out for you? Like so cool that he does this every year whenever he comes up here. Oh, you know what I'm going to say, right? I think I do, but the listeners do not. <laughs> I bet you do. The The most fun part for me is when uh, you have everyone get out their phones and turn on voiceover at one time. You get a whole class and the voiceover is chattering and the students are terrified of their phones and they're looking at them like they're aliens in their hands. And there's all this noise and this chaos and you're dealing with all these people at once. You're multitasking, getting everyone in control of their voiceover settings at one time on multiple different phones. And it's just an amazing demonstration to me. I do have a story for the listeners as well. And especially you can back me up on this. There was actually a time when that experiment actually went completely wrong the first year. <laughs> no one had iPhones. The only ones that had the iPhone were Ms. Webster and myself. And the other ladies had Android devices. Android runs TalkBack. And for more information on the screen readers, see this article that we're going to put on the show notes. For some reason, those phones, when TalkBack was enabled, they went haywire. And one of the ladies had to literally reset her phone. There were just so many issues with it. And everyone was a little terrified. But thankfully, we did fix it. And <laughs> that was when we realized that Android was a bit more of a tricky situation. I feel like nowadays, it probably would be a little better. But at the time, though, it was a lot tricky. That was in 2014 was when I first started doing these presentations. Ms. Webster, after I presented and after I had you for a few semesters, what changed about your perspective of the blind and visually impaired? Understanding the capability that you can go do anything career-wise, academic-wise, it really is open for you. But like you were saying, you do need to self-advocate. But I was also very impressed with getting into your perspective when you tell us what it was like for you growing up in school and what needs you had met and which ones didn't, your social needs, because that's what people don't really understand is the odd things. I remember talking to you one time and you were asking how people knew about campus events because we didn't have that electronically available accurately anyway and always up to date. And I mentioned the flyers on the wall. And yeah, of course, you're not able to see the flyers on the wall. And we need to make sure that you're aware of the things that other people see in the environment. Now, you know, with modern phone technology, it's just amazing that you can just come up to a wall and I've done this with all my documents in the mail, come up to the wall, take a picture of it and it reads it to you. That's incredible. And I'm so glad you're able to show us those apps and those technologies that you have in class too, that really helps the students. What is something that you take with you from my presentations? I appreciate having a student who's now a friend and, you know, a good friend of mine. This is a gift. But as far as what I take with me afterward, just the treasure of learning from my students and from my friends, I appreciate all the things I can learn and all the things I can do. It's just good knowing people, getting to know you, getting to maybe see a little bit inside your world, seeing from your viewpoint. I think it helps us all be a better person. Now, what is something that you would tell future educators that will have blind students in their classrooms? I'd say don't feel sorry for your students. Hold them to high standards. Do your job with these students. Don't let them off without mastering the content that you're teaching. Do accommodate. Do ask them what they need and work through that process. But don't excuse them from anything. They actually need to be more academically prepared to be competitive. They can succeed. You can help them succeed. But it's going to take some work. But it's worth it. I think every teacher of the visually impaired that listens to this 
podcast episode would be proud to hear that. Any last thoughts, any last words that you want to share? Don't be hesitant to learn from your students. Your students are experts in so many things. And I've learned so much from you. And you're definitely an expert in technology and accessibility for the blind. And all the things you've been through can be used to help other people make it a smoother road for those who follow you. Learn from your students. Ms. Webster, thank you again for sharing this short time with me. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Teach a Vision by Screenless Allies. We'll see you on the next one. Meanwhile, you can check out our website at screenlessallies.com. S-C-R-E-E-N-L-E-S-S-A-L-L-I-E-S.com. Check out our Facebook, facebook.com slash screenlessalliesofficial. And most importantly, please tell your friends about us. And if you have any suggestions or comments or questions, you can definitely email those to info at screenlessallies.com. We'll see you next time and thank you for listening.